You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. If you have your Bibles, look with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Grab your sermon notes. There in your worship guide, we have um, kind of a study guide that our creative department has developed. Throughout, throughout this study, every week you're going to find... Um, the study guide that will help you go deeper, hopefully to help you gain more out of this series and out of this teaching in the book of Galatians. And if by chance you missed a week, we have, um, we have the study guides available at the connect points in each of the four years so you can stop by and pick those up. But today, today we want to talk about this. We want to talk about problems in the church and how we address those issues. You know, I would like to think it's not true, but we do have problems in the church. Let me tell you why we have problems in the church. The church is made up of redeemed people who, who still have problems. Therefore, we end up with problems in the larger body. We love Jesus, but we don't all the time act like Jesus. You okay with that? Isn't that true? I mean, listen, I, I've been in church like all my life. For those of you who know my story, if, if you don't know my story, I was, I was born on Wednesday, went to church on Sunday. I'm coming up on 53 years of age, and I like haven't missed church very many times in 53 years. So I've seen a lot of church. My dad was a pastor. I've seen a lot of church. And this is what I know. Sometimes we can be ugly in the church. Right? Go ahead and shake your head. Sometimes we can like not treat people like we should treat people. Like, there's challenges that arise in the church. It was true for the early church and it's still true today. Sometimes we just like have a problem getting along and working together. We want to talk about, want to talk about that this morning. There's a story of a man who was stranded on a desert island for many, many years. One day while strolling along the beach, he saw a ship out in the ocean. And all these years of being stranded on the beach, he had not seen any ship. So this is the first time he is like overjoyed seeing the ship, thinking the potential of rescue. So he gathers wood, builds this big fire, creates as much smoke as he can. And the individuals in the ship saw the smoke and they came toward the island, sent a dinghy with some individuals to bring rescue for this man. And he was like so overjoyed. So they're on the beach and, and they're just kind of talking about like, how did you survive all of these years? And he kind of talked about the food that he ate and kind of the whole process. He said, hey, I actually built a beautiful home. So as a matter of fact, if you look up on the ridge from here, if you look up on the ridge, you can see my, my home. Built a beautiful home. And the rescuer said, wow, that's awesome. He said, well, what's the building on the left of your home? He says, well, um, that's the church. That's where I go to worship. He said, well, what's the building on the other side of your home? He says, well, that's the church where I used to worship. <laughs> Obviously not a true story, but I think it illustrates for us the reality and the challenge oftentimes that we have in the church. I mean, just think about this. Think about how many different churches and denominations there are throughout our community. You ever wonder why? You ever wonder why we, we created all of these different, if you will, institutions under this bigger umbrella of the church? The challenge we have of at times getting on. I know several years ago, one of my pastor friends was pastoring a church, a key church right here in our community. Been here for a lot of years. He's pastoring this church, and within the church there, there came this division. And the division was, 
was between two groups. One group wanted to take a much more liberal approach to some of the issues of our day. And there was another group who took a much more conservative approach. Like they, they, they were confident that they could not, should not compromise truth. So you have two groups. And in the midst of this, again, a key church in our community had like three years of infighting, three years of squabbling, three years of tension where all of their focus was where? Internal. And because all of their focus was internal, because they couldn't work together, there was this, there was, they were challenged with unity. As a result of that, this key church in their community missed about three years of effective ministry. We're not impacting our community. Why? Because they were so busy fighting amongst themselves. And the reality, the reality of conflict as it comes to the church. In the body of Christ, I believe the body of Christ, the, the church is called to be representatives of Jesus' grace, love, and truth. So when the, when the community, when the Lake Norman community looks at Grace Covenant, not the building, because the building's not the church, the church is made up of what? People. So look around you this morning. We, we are the church. So when the, when the people in the Lake Norman community Look at Grace Covenant Church. What should they see? I believe they should see the love of Christ. I believe they should see the grace of Christ. I believe they should see the truth of Christ. What lived out in the midst of the biblical community. However, however, deception in the ways of man can create division and bring strife to the church. Causing the church to be ineffective in its mission of redemption. And because of this reality, we are called to be reconciled. It's interesting. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul talks about how we've been reconciled to God through Christ, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you can think of it like this, if you're a follower of Christ, then you are a reconciler. Not only are you leading people to Christ that they might be reconciled to the Father, but we're called to a ministry of reconciliation, meaning this, that we should be reconciling our relationships with one another. In Romans twelve eighteen, Paul says, this, if, if, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, that you should live at peace with everyone. So as the church today... As the church today, we're called to promote peace while protecting truth. And I think it's that that creates the tension. We're, we're promoting peace, yet at the same time, we have to stand for that which is true, that which is right, that which is God-honoring. We must not allow issues to bring division in the church or dissuade us from the truth of the gospel. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, was certainly committed to this. And that's why we have this issue that's being addressed here in Galatians chapter 2. We have two strong leaders, two strong personalities. So think about this, two type A leaders who find themselves in combat. There's Peter, who's well known among the early church as the dominant leader. I mean, it was Peter who preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved. So if you think about who's the leader of the early church, it would have been Peter. Yet Peter finds himself in a place of compromise. He finds himself in a place of, uh, of promoting heresy, if you will, hypocrisy. And so Paul, who was also a strong personality, I mean, if you read about the Apostle Paul, he didn't mind confronting people. He didn't mind having the difficult conversation. So we have these two strong personalities who are, are in conflict 
And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going after the problem. The problem that's creating division in the church. So look with me if you would, Galatians chapter 2. Let's read a few verses here that kind of sets the story of what's happening in the early church. Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Sounds a bit confrontational, doesn't it? Paul says, I got in his face. That's what I did. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. That would be the Judaizers. He goes on to say, verse 13, The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild... What I destroyed, I proved that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So in this passage of Scripture, we have Paul clearly defining the theological problem that's causing division in the church. He's calling Peter out because of his hypocrisy. So Peter, the dominant leader, has, is really playing favorites. He's living for the approval of man, the Jewish believers. And as a result of living for the approval of man, he's compromising his faith and he's stirring up confusion in the church. Peter is really the problem. And it's amazing that Peter would be the problem and that he's playing favorites to, favorites to the Jewish Christians who were like, well, you gotta, you know, you're saved by grace, but you, you know, you gotta be circumcised too. You're saved by grace, but you gotta, you gotta follow the details of the law. He was playing favorites to the Jewish believers and he was shunning the Gentile believers. Again, interesting, because if you go back in church history, Acts chapter 10, it was Peter who first went to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision, he has this encounter with God, a vision about clean and unclean, and out of that, basically God says, Peter, I want you to go to the Gentiles. So Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house, who was a Roman centurion, a good Gentile, but a Gentile. He goes to the Gentiles, he, he shares the gospel message, Cornelius is saved, his whole household are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. It was Peter who first took the gospel to the Gentiles, but now it's Peter who's playing favorites. It's Peter that's caused this confusion and this, this, con- this conflict, this division that's happening in the church. And like Paul, 
Paul's not going to sit back and allow this deception and hypocrisy to go unaddressed. So he calls Peter out. So the, the issue in Paul's day was a false doctrine. There in your sermon notes, four things. It was a false doctrine that was promoting law observance required for salvation. Again, it's not enough just, just to be saved by grace through faith. There's law observance. Like If you're truly going to be a follower of Christ, then again, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the details of the law. So there's law observance. It was a false doctrine that was promoting works. As a result of this false doctrine of works that had infiltrated the church, there was the eliminating of certain people from the church. So now the, Jew, the Gentile believers were made to feel like second-class citizens. Like, you know, you, you have grace, but you don't have circumcision. Therefore, you're not as good as us. God loves us more than He loves you. We've been circumcised. You've not been circumcised. And so we have the shunning of a group of people. It's like the Gentiles now become second-class citizens within the church being pushed aside. And as you can imagine, as a result of this, what there's division in the church. Now there's two groups. There's the Jewish believers and there's the Gentile believers. These are the folks who are really saved, and these are the folks who are not saved. That would be like saying, okay, from the Poe to this side, okay, for, for, for all of you, if, if you're keeping the law like good Jewish believers, then you're saved. But all of these on this side, if, let's say you're Gentiles, well, you're not following the law, not been circumcised, uh, well, too bad for you. I mean, that's what was playing out. So there was this division that was happening within the church because there's these two different groups. And as a result of the division, as you can imagine, the church became limited in their effectiveness. There was so much squabbling and infighting between Jewish believers and Gentile believers that they lost sight of the mission of the church, the mission to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. But they were squabbling among themselves. The division limited the church. Paul was not going to allow this issue to go unaddressed, this issue of theological error. He knew he had to confront Peter. He knew he had to confront the error. Now today, we're not dealing with like right of circumcision. We're not having conflict in the church, division within the church, like who's been circumcised, who's not been circumcised. Um, We don't have a committee that's checking that out, if you're wondering. Um, Good news, right? Um, we don't have to deal with these issue of, issues of law observance that was creating division in, in Paul and Peter's day. But there's other issues that do create division. So the question is, how do we respond to those? So some of the present day issues would be like, interesting, I see this play out often, as individuals identify themselves by their political party. And their allegiance to the political party creates conflict in the church. And if, if, if you haven't been told this, God's not a Republican, God's not a Democrat. He's the supreme leader. He's not either one. But oftentimes, that, that creates division within the church. So we, we create sides, and it's based on political agendas or political parties. Or, or I've seen this. It, um, there's, there's issues of religious expectation that play out, where we add on to the faith. Like, you know, if you really love Jesus, you would fast. And if you love him a lot, you would fast even more. Or if you really love Jesus, then you wouldn't consume alcohol. 
Or if you really love Jesus, fill in the blank. We can, we can create these religious expectations that really flow more out of our opinion than out of the truth of God's word. And oftentimes what happens is we have factions, we have conflict, we have division in the church. And then what happens is what the church is limited in its effectiveness. I think there's also issues of race that can, can become divisive and keep us from living out the faith and truly being the church. So, so how do we respond to these issues? How do we respond to these issues that can create strife and division in the church? But not only in the church, in our relationship. Because we're going we're to end this, this morning with, with four principles of how we, do, how we should deal with conflict. How we should deal with conflict in the church. But the four things we're going to learn from Paul as to how he addressed Peter also work in like the marriage relationship. Any of you have problems in your marriage? My goodness, we all done got saved. I only saw one person. Caleb raised his hand. Caleb, I'm with you. Everyone else, man, we need to learn from them. They got it perfect. No, what? There's conflict in marriage. I mean, it is reality. In your workplace, any of you have any problems in your workplace? Come on, you know it happens. So, so it's not just in the church. The principles we see here work in every. In every level of relationship as we're dealing with conflict and strife and division. So what can we learn from how Paul confronted Peter? I think the first is this. We want to speak the truth with love. So when there's deception and division, we have to bring truth into the conversation. But the truth needs to be motivated by love. How many of you know you can beat people up with truth? How many of you know truth can be destructive, it's not always constructive. And we can use truth to condemn people. We can use truth to make people feel bad. So it's not enough just to have truth. We need truth that's motivated by love. And we see that playing out here, I believe, with, with Paul and Peter. I think Paul confronted Peter because he loved Peter. Paul confronted Peter because he loved the church, he loved the Gentile believers, and he saw them being shunned. Therefore, when he came and he spoke truth, but the truth was motivated by love. And when you come to a point of conflict, you've got to bring truth to the conversation, but that truth needs to be motivated by love. You know, John, John 1.14 says this, that Jesus Christ came full of grace and full of truth. May that be true of our own lives, but full of grace and full of truth. So as we are, as we're speaking, as we're speaking the truth in love, I think that brings us then to the second principle that we can learn from this conflict with Peter and Paul. And it's this, you have to be willing to confront deception and division. You have to be willing to have the difficult conversation. Listen, it's never fun to have the difficult conversation. Never fun. If you're here today and you love having the difficult conversation, you're sick. You need a counselor. You need help. You need help. It's not fun. It's not fun having to confront, having to uh, address the conflict. What we would all rather happen is that, that it would just go away. Let's sweep, it under the, let's sweep it under the rug and just pretend it like it never happened. But when, when we choose that path, it's like the, the conflict only grows. The division only gets greater. Why? Because no one's addressed the problem. 
So we have to, we, we have to be willing to confront the deception and the division. I mean, but Paul did just that. He, he didn't back down from the difficult conversation with Peter. He, like, he saw the confusion. He saw the trouble. He saw the strife that Peter's actions were creating. And he knew someone had to address the problem. Now, most believers at this time would have been intimidated by Peter. I mean, like he's the man. He's the leader of the church. I mean, you read through the book of Acts and you, you, you read about some of these things that Peter did. Everyone looked up to Peter. So most people were intimidated by Peter, but not Paul. He was willing. He was willing to have the difficult conversation. Matter of fact, if you look back to Galatians 2.11, the scripture says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. But he had the difficult conversation. So just as... Paul was willing to confront Peter. Oftentimes, we have to be willing to have the difficult conversation. Obviously, we're speaking the truth in love, but we've got to be willing to address the situation so that we can come to healthy resolution. But when we confront the issue, whatever the issue might be, we always want to make sure that we attack the problem, not the person. The problem, not the person. You know, behind most problems are people who are creating the problems. One of the things I've come to discover is that problems don't self-create. There's always, like, people behind. People who have an agenda, maybe. People who are misinformed. Maybe they have wrong information. Certainly that's a possibility. But behind the problem, behind the division, behind the conflict, there's usually a face. There's a person. And so as we're trying to work toward reconciliation, what we want to make sure that we attack the problem, not the person. If you attack the person, what do they do? It's a question. If you attack the person, what do they do? They attack back. They defend themselves. You you force them to defend themselves. And as they're defending themselves, you're probably not going to get the resolution. You're probably not going to be able to have a healthy conversation to move this in the right direction. So don't attack the, pro- the person. Attack the problem. Address the issue. Address the issue that, um, that's creating uh, the separation. And that's exactly, that's exactly what Paul did. If you look back to verse, verses 11 through 14, Paul clearly addressed the issue he clearly attacked the problem. Like he didn't go after Peter. He didn't call Peter names. He didn't throw him under the bus. He didn't go about gossiping. He didn't go about all Galatia gossiping about, about Peter. No, he, he clearly ad- addressed the problem. Again, if you look back, I mean, he, he begins with, you know, Peter, you're, you're at fault. And, and then he, he begins to lay out the issues. And as he laid out the issues, it was then that they were able to come to resolution, not only between Paul and Peter, but, but Peter was able to own his failure, to own his stuff, to address the issue in the church. Which brings us to the fourth and final principle I think we can pick up from this conflict. Paul and Peter in conflict is this. We want to allow God's Word to be our God. Allow God's Word to guide you. Listen, you have opinions, right? I have opinions. We all have opinions. Would you agree with that? You have perspective. I have perspectives. And oftentimes your perspective is different than my perspective. 
So we have different opinions, different perspectives. And then we bring our dysfunction into our different opinions and different perspectives. And if we're not careful, man, we have this separation that happens in marriages, in families, in workplaces, in the church. What do we need? We need to bring God's truth into the conversation, into the conflict, that God's truth would be our guide. And again, that's exactly what Paul did. He didn't come to Peter and say, hey, Peter, here's, the, in my opinion, this, in my opinion, what you're doing is wrong. Or here's my perspective of the situation. No, he came and he said, I got right in his face and I told him what he was doing was wrong. And then he used the truth of God's word, laid it out. He was guided by God's word. So when you're in the midst of a conflict and there's division, whether in the church or playing out in your relationships, allow God's word to be your guide. Listen, God's word has greater authority than your opinion. God's word is greater authority than your perspective. We want to go back to God's word, allow God's word to be your guide. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, I want you to notice what Paul wrote. It's on the screen. Let's read this together. Would you read this with me? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice what the Scripture says. It says all Scripture. That means from beginning to end. What? It's God-breathed. It's it's God-given. And notice it's useful. Paul says uh, uh, it's useful for, for four things. Teaching. We all like teaching, right? But notice he also says that God's Word is useful for what? rebuking, correcting. Allow God's Word to be your guide. Because at times, there's individuals that need to be rebuked. At times, there's individuals that need to be corrected. Maybe you need to be rebuked, or maybe you need to be doing the rebuking. Maybe you need to be corrected, or maybe you're doing the correcting. But what? Allow God's Word, because what? It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training us. And righteousness. So when you come to these, these conflicts that can create division in the church or in your relationship, allow God's word to be your guide. Look, here's the reality. Until Jesus returns for his church, there's going to be issues. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be differences in the church and, and, and differences between people. And listen, it, it, it is the reality of the world that we live in. If we, re- if we are to remain united, we must be willing to engage in the difficult conversations. We must be committed to the truth of God's word. And we have to humbly walk out that truth. As we're committed to this process, this is what I'm confident of. We can resolve most conflicts. Conflicts that create division. That bring hurt and injury. Listen, most of those can be resolved. If... Again, we're willing to have the difficult conversations if we're committed to the truth of God's Word and as we humbly walk out truth. As we do that, well, as a church, we remain united. And when we're united, then what? We're effective. When we're united, then the community that we reside in gets to see what Jesus looks like. They get to see the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, the truth of Christ. Where? In this body of believers who's really different. I mean, just look around the room. We're really different. Socioeconomically, age, ethnicity. I mean, Grace Covenant Church is made up of all of these, dif- uh, all of these different people, all of this diversity. Yet, we can be united 
so that our community again can see what Jesus looks like, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the truth of Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning. Lord, for this story revealed for us in Scripture, Lord, it's pretty amazing to think about like the two top leaders in the church of the day, in the early church, Paul and Peter, that they would have a conflict. To think about Peter living out hypocrisy. Lord, yet it's a reality. It's a reality playing out in our life. Lord, at times we are the hypocrite. At times we're arrogant. At times we're selfish. Lord, at times, Lord, we... We get stuck in our opinion and our perspective and it creates division. It creates conflict in marriages and families and in the church. So that I thank you that you've given us this, this kind of this picture of like, how do we deal with that? How do we process through that? How do we come to a place of health that we might remain united? God, that you might be glorified and that grace covenant might be effective. So, Lord, thanks. Thanks for the truth of your word, the guidance of your word. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help us to live it out, I pray. With every head bowed and eye closed, really quick, in reference to the sermon today, possibly you're in a place where there's a point of conflict, there's a point of division. There's there's an issue that's playing out in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. And you're like, I, I don't know what to do with it. I just want to pray with you this morning. That God's word would be your guide. That the Holy Spirit would work in you and through, through you to grant you wisdom to know how to deal with the situation. Because again, if conflicts go unaddressed, most of the time they don't go, they don't go away. It only creates greater division, greater hurt, greater pain. So if you're here today and you would just say, hey, that's me. Right now I'm facing a situation. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you really quick. I see that hand. Yeah, yep, yep. Anyone else? Lord, I I, I pray. I pray today for my friends, Lord, who find themselves in a hard place, in a storm, in a place of conflict. Lord, I pray that your word would be their God. Lord, that you would grant them insight and understanding. Holy Spirit. Would you, would you just stir this, this gift of discernment within them? Maybe it's a word of knowledge they need, a word of wisdom they need. Holy Spirit, you're the one who brings the gifts. In that situation, I ask that you would guide them and that you would help them come to a place of resolve. And Lord, as your word says, as far as it depends on us, that we should live at peace with everyone. And Lord, I know not everyone is willing to get to a place of peace. But Lord, I ask that you would grant grace and understanding to those who find themselves in that difficult place. And Lord, I just thank you for what I believe will be restoration and resolve as you guide them in this coming week, as they speak the truth in love, as they have a difficult conversation, as they attack the problem, not the person, and as they're guided by the truth of your word. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.